So we've been having this duck thing outside. I don't know if you guys have noticed in the parking lot, but we have this place blocked off where you can't park because we have this duck uh, that's laid eggs. And I don't know, have they hatched yet? Has anybody checked? Not yet. Should be probably this week sometime, so that might be exciting for the VBS guys. So I thought that might become our mascot. But instead, I think it's going to be this guy. We're going to name him Augustine. Most people did not even get that. Augustine is Augustine of Hippo. Hippo. Ba-booms. That is theology, humor. No one got it. I'm a nerd. That's all right. All right. But we don't play around with VBS. When you came in, it looked like a jungle out there. I thought about beginning the sermon with saying, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. But I thought that was probably not appropriate. Now I said it anyhow, so I shouldn't have. But I did. It's too late. But it looks like woods, and welcome to the woods, that's the whole deal. In the last couple of days, I've been in the woods. Uh, Haley and I have been in the woods. So for those of you who have kind of been following along with that, we left, we started, actually got there. So from lunch on Thursday until lunch yesterday, um, she and I hiked 28 miles on the Appalachian Trail, and two nights in the woods, and she did great. We had some serious climbs, and she just... Killed it. We were way back in there yesterday. We didn't even see anybody on the trail at all. We were so far back in the, in the back country of the Cherokee National Forest. We didn't even see a soul on the trail yesterday. And she did great. And part of that is because she's just an incredible young lady. But part of that is also because we had talked about it and she knew what to expect. She knew that it was going to be hard, kind of like we talked a little bit last week. She knew, hey, you're going to probably get some blisters. There are bears back there. We've got to watch what we do with our food. We've got to, you know, protect all these sorts of things. And she was, ex- she was expecting it. She was ready for it. And so she did really, really well with it. Last week, we looked and, and we read again this morning how Paul, in the beginning of chapter 3, is just laying out the fact that, you know, hey, You need to expect, you need to know there are difficult times, all right? They are a given. Difficult days are a given in this life. He talks about, you know, difficult times in the last days. And the last days are what we're living in right now, all right? And the church always has been for 2,000 years. The last days are from when Jesus first came to when Jesus comes again. All of that is the last days. And so Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just lays it out there. Hey, understand this. And in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. You need to expect it. These difficult days are a given. But now we come into verses 10 through 15, and he's going to tell us how to live in the midst of those difficult days. The days that we're living in. How to live in the midst of hostility and oppression and persecution. And as he does that, I want us to also just kind of as a side note, notice that these verses also kind of show us the folly or the foolishness of overemphasizing the novel or the new. Paul, in his dying words here to Timothy, does not call Timothy to try to be trendy but to just continue pressing on in the normal means of grace that God has given to his people, to the church. And so specifically what Paul is going to call out to uh, us here is that in the face of a hostile world, Timothy and we are to, and here you go, I'll go ahead and give you all your notes up front. Number one, live a godly life. In the face of a hostile world, what do you do? Well, just live a godly life. That's one 
So number one, live a godly life. Number two, expect persecution. Expect it. And number three, continue on. Just continue on. Nothing trendy, nothing crazy. Just what a Christian is to do when times are good and when times are bad. We have a godly life, expect persecution, and continue on. That's how you live in a hostile world. So let me show it to you from the text. Let's kind of break it down together. So join me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, page 996 in the Bibles around you. We'll start in verse 10. You, however, all right, very emphatic, all right, in contrast to all these false converts, all these false teachers that he just talked about in verses 1 through 9, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so we read that and our minds and our eyes automatically jump to that persecution part. But first, embedded in that verse, in verse 12, kind of assumed right there in verse 12, is that we would be endeavoring to live a godly life. Look at verse 12 again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Well, what does a godly life look like? Well, it looks like verses 10 through 11. See, you've got verses 2 through 5 where you've got this list almost like markers of a non-Christian. This is what a non-Christian looks like, verses 2 through 5. And then you come here, verses 10 through 11, you almost kind of get these markers of what a Christian looks like, of what a godly life in Christ Jesus looks like. And so even as we make our way through these in terms of knowing how we're to live in a hostile world, if you are a follower of Christ or you claim to be a follower of Christ, I want to ask you to ask yourself, do these things mark my life? If this is what a godly life is, right? the godly life, verse 12, if it's explained in verses 10 through 11, do these things mark my life? And if you're not a Christian, I want to make sure you understand that Paul and I am not saying in any way, you know, in any sort of way that like do these things and you'll be good with God. And God will love you. God will forgive you if you just live this way. And Paul teaches that it is Christ alone that can make us right with God. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing else that will work. Only Him and and His sacrifice on the cross and His granting to us His righteousness. We need a righteousness that is not our own in order to be right with God. And that's what Christ gives us. On the cross, He took our sin upon Himself. He gave to us His righteousness. That's what makes us right with God. But if we have been redeemed, if we have been saved, then these things should now mark our life because we've been given a new heart with new desires, new motivations. We've been made a new creation. And so we have a new love. 
a new way that we live, a new way that we believe. And so this is part of that, how we live our lives differently because we have been united with Christ. And so in the midst of a hostile world, number one, again, just live a godly life as God has always called his people to live. And so verses 10 through 11, you get eight specific markers. You get eight specific aspects of this godly life. Let's just make our way through them. And so the first one that we come across, you, however, emphatic as opposed to these people, you have followed my teaching. Okay, this, this is the gospel we just talked about. That, uh, you know, we can't save ourselves. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that that message and the forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the adoption into the family of our Father where He loves us and cherishes us, that that changes us. And it fuels us to the second part here. You are follow my teaching, my conduct. Paul saying Timothy did not just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And this is imperative. As I've said before, the mo- like one of simultaneously the greatest apologetic for the Christian life, the greatest draw for people you know to Christianity, and the greatest thing that pushes people away from Christianity are other Christians. Both of those are true, and so our conduct is huge. We must watch that our conduct in our lives matches our words and our conversation with our lips. And so Christ's teaching is to explain our life and our life is to exemplify Christ's teaching. The next thing we see here is how Timothy is living a godly life is that he follows Paul's aim in life, his purpose, like what he lives for. Why he did what he did. And so a quick little aside here. How many of you get a newspaper still? This is just... That's lower than I even thought. Like a couple of people. So maybe even for our young people, I need to teach what a newspaper is or was. So newspapers, literally papers that came to your house, they put them in your yard or threw them or stuck them in a mailbox, and it gave you the news. Now you just go to Google or, you know, your uh, news outlet of choice, and you can learn about the news, or at least one person's perspective on the news, because all of it's slanted in one way or another. But the news, in the newspaper that came to your house, you just had, you know, news, you had opinions, you had classifieds, you had you know, uh, what's going on, current events in, in your neighborhood or town. You had arts, you had sports section, and you had the comics, right? And the comics, we don't, you know, we don't see those so much probably now because we don't have newspapers as much. But one of the comics, like I'm going to make a point with a comic. There's a strip that I saw several, several years ago. And it's from Peanuts. So this is Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, Snoopy, that whole gang, all right? And so it's a little comic strip, about four or five slides. And in it, what's happening is, is Snoopy is having a crisis of just like purpose in life, all right? And so what happens is Linus has got a stick and he throws the stick and, and, and 
Snoopy's first instinct is to go chase the stick, just like he always does. But then he stops and he's like, wait a minute. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I don't want to just be known as, you know, Snoopy. Uh, he, was a, he was a nice guy and he chased sticks. And so he paused and thought about it for a while. Do you chase sticks? What is your aim in life? What is your purpose in life? As Christians, it's to be more than like these false converts who who chased pleasure, hedonism. They chased money, materialism. They chased making a name for themselves, narcissism. We're to chase something greater than that. The glory of God. And making His fame known. Finding pleasure in knowing Him. And then sharing that with others. The love that we have. The peace that we have in the midst of a hostile world. Because we are connected to Him. We're united with Him. We give that away. What is your aim in life? What is your purpose in life? Don't go to the grave being known as He was a nice guy. He chased sticks. So the first three words here are kind of about lifestyle, con- uh, teaching, conduct, aim in life. And then you get four like major virtues that are at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Faith, he's talking about faith towards God and fidelity to that. Patience. And interesting, interestingly here, the word is macrothemia which is literally tolerance or long-suffering with aggravating people. Literally, that's that's what this word means here, patience. So who needs that, right? Yep, I need that. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. You need that. How do you get that? Only by the Spirit. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's developed as we abide in Jesus, as we trust Jesus, as we treasure Jesus, as we love Jesus, and as we continually remember how patient Jesus is with us. That should help us to be patient with other fellow sinners. And so we walk in faith, we walk in patience with other people, we walk in love toward God and toward man, right? The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then steadfastness, which is another word for patience. But here it's patience in the midst of trying circumstances, whereas the other one's patience in the midst of trying people. We walk in this steadfastness. This is the life that we're called to. But it's not a life that just we can it's not a life that we just you know can live on our own. If you notice the whole context of this, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, all these things. He's saying, listen, you've followed me as I've followed Christ. He's, I've discipled you. You've been discipled by me. Because remember, the Christian life is a discipled life and a discipling life. So this is what has happened here. And so he's followed Paul's example and Paul's you know, pulling that out for us, helping us to see this. 
And so just very practically, if you want to live a godly life, get around people who are living that way. That's what Timothy did here. He got a, I mean, he was around Paul for years and years and years. The church's Timothys need Pauls and Paulines to follow. Are you followable, if that's a word? Are you worth being followed? In my own life, one of the greatest times of spiritual growth and uh, just formation in my own life were the two years I spent getting discipled weekly in college by a guy in Athletes in Action. Week after week after week after week after week after week, holding me accountable to be in the Word, reading books together, asking me hard questions, like personal, in-my-life questions. And then after two years, my senior year, he, he went to another job, and so I just grabbed a couple of guys who were also pursuing Christ, a guy named Philip Gable and Gordon Huang, and we got in a group and we would hold each other accountable and we would read together and we would press one another on. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to live a godly life, get around other people who are doing that. And let them pour into you And then here's a big one. If they're the ones pouring into you, then you need to receive it. And learn how to live a godly life. But understand, even as we live this godly life, it's not some sort of vaccine from hard times or persecutions. Matter of fact, it's probably an an invitation of persecution. And so number two, this is where he just comes straight forward. He's been talking about this. He talks about his own persecutions and just straight up, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so number two, expect persecution. If you want to make a difference in this world, you must understand that you will be misunderstood. And you will be mistreated. And you will be maligned and you will be hated and you will be discounted and you will be frowned upon and you will be rejected. You can count on this, right? And I'm not up here trying to be a Debbie Downer. Sorry, Debbie. (laughs) Negative Nancy. Sorry, Nancy. We can keep going with these. But I'm just trying to help you understand this is what the Bible says. 1 John 3.13 says, don't be surprised when you are persecuted. When the world hates you. Jesus said it would. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 15. Verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world. The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, like we live a distinctly different life as Christians. Therefore, like because of that, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will also persecute you. It's like this. What 
Paul's trying to impart to us here with this word about, you know, hey, you will be persecuted. NASCAR drivers should expect that they're going to be in crashes, right? At some point, it's going to happen. Football players should not be surprised when they have an injury. Baseball players should not be surprised when they get hit by the ball. You're going to get beamed. It's going to happen at some point, right? Soldiers should not be surprised when they're shot at. Christians should not be surprised when we are persecuted. Jesus has said, unless he's a liar, has said it's going to happen. And around the world, we see it happening. Even as uh, Christy was praying, we see it happening with, you know, massive persecution. Twenty-nine people in Burkina Faso this week were killed because they're a Christian. This is like the third massacre that's happened in the last couple of weeks in Burkina Faso. You see it happening in Syria all the time, right? South Sudan, like genocide is happening there to Christians. This happens. Here, we also are persecuted. It's a different form right now, right? I mean, our whole country was founded around persecution. The whole reason the pilgrims, the English separatists, by which we trace our Baptist heritage to those English separatists, the pilgrims, they're our people They came here because they wanted to worship in a different way, a way that had forced them to go to Holland at one point, many of them. And so they came here so they could worship in a different way, so they could be free to worship how they wished. Persecution is a reality. Here in America, we'll probably just face the type of persecution that's rejection. It's being caricatured as the worst of the worst. Especially when you have Baptist in your name, people are like, oh, you're Westboro? No. But caricature you and push you, you know, want to paint you in that light. See you as a bigot automatically because you love Christ. So let's not give them cause to do that, right? And we're not going around looking for, uh, you know, people to, you know, not like us. We're not trying to find people that would, you know, persecute us. We're not trying to find enemies. But it's going to happen. People will persecute us as Christians. Unless Jesus is lying. But this warning, this sobering warning is helpful to us. Because it helps us understand that when we hear reports of persecution. That the world's not spinning out of control. The Bible told us this would happen. God has, com- has, has communicated to us that these sorts of things are happening. And so while false converts and false teachers are going to keep getting worse and worse and worse, Timothy and you and I need to remember what God has said and be steeled by it. Be fortified by it. Be ready for it. And like Paul, be ready to endure it. And yet in the end of verse 11, Paul says that yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. That though, like God never promises that this life is going to be easy. He does promise that he will be with his people as he's proved over and over and that he will always rescue them either in this life or the ultimate rescue when we go home to glory. And Paul is writing this knowing the only way he gets out of this jail cell is to walk to his death where they behead him. And he's okay with that. 
Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if you are a Christian, you can't lose. You can't lose. And also, if you are a Christian, listen, you are, God has numbered the, your number of days. And so until it's the day that the Lord wants, you bring, wants to bring you home, it won't be your day. That's why when Paul's stoned and beaten and he's left outside of Lystra bleeding and they leave him for dead because he's not moving. After a while, a swollen eye pops open. He's like, not today, folks. And they take him and they nurse him back to health and he goes back to the city and preaches the gospel. And so our, our culture frees suffering, seeing nothing noble in it, nothing beyond it. Christians need to expect it. It is part of the regular course of serving God in some way, shape, or function. If you're in school, you will be considered an outsider if you live for Christ. You will be looked at weird at times. It's not all the time, but at times when you stand, I can't do that. I can't go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Know that. Expect that. And stand strong, knowing it's, it's coming. Let it not catch you off guard. And so in the face of a hostile world, number one, we endeavor just to live a godly life. Number two, to expect persecution. We know it's going to come. And then number three, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we just keep going. We press on. Specifically, Number three, we continue on. Look at verse 14 with me. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. And so just as verse 10 began with this emphatic, hey, you, different from the other people, so the same thing here in verse 14. But as for you, like all the you know, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, here's what you are to do. You are to continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And that verb continue there is the verb meno. It's the same word that Jesus uses in his famous abide in me teaching. It's the same thing. So it's abide here. He's calling us to abide. He's calling us to remain. He's calling us to live in this. He's calling us to, to stay in this. And it's a present imperative which has the meaning of kind of like an, on, it's an ongoing thing. You are to continue remaining, continue abiding, continue continuing on. You keep pressing, pressing. Continuing in what? In verse 14, in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have believed it. See, Timothy's become convinced of the truth of the gospel through the instruction of three people. And now Paul is calling him to continue on in it. Those three people are his mom, his grandmother, and then, of course, the apostle Paul. His mom's name's Lois, his grandmother's name is Eunice. You can read about them in chapter 1, verse 5. And they taught him the scriptures from birth. They didn't have picture Bibles then. They didn't have Bibles then. They had the, the only collection was the Old Testament 
And just orally, they retold stories to him over and over and over and over. They taught him the Old Testament. His, his mom and his grandma. And this is something that his mom, who was married to a non-believing man, married to a pagan. That's why Timothy wasn't circumcised. She was married to a pagan. She taught him that. She did that. It's amazing what moms do. And look at the effect that it had. Small thing. We're still reading about him. We're still reading about Timothy. What if the mom is just like, eh, I'm not going to take the time. Look at this. You never know what God's going to do with things. You never know the pebble you throw into God's infinite lake, how it's going to ripple out and touch others. What you do in a child's life truly does echo through eternity. And so moms... And especially today, Father's Day, dads, don't teach your kids by words and actions or actions to chase sticks. Teach them to live for what matters, what will last eternally. Don't waste your time, your life on narcissism and hedonism and materialism. Being a lover of self, a lover of money, a lover of pleasure. Be a lover of God. Teach your children to love God. Teach them to live for Christ. Teach them the Word. And folks, we all have a part to play in this. Not just moms and dads with their own children. We dedicate babies up here sometimes. Dedicate parents to raise them. And we all pledge to help moms and dads raise their kids to know Jesus Christ. We all pledge to do that. And so we all have a part to play in that. To not just be concerned about the spiritual welfare of our own kids, but this entire community of faith. And so thank you to those of you who are serving in VBS. You're putting feet to that pledge. And thank you to those of you who serve in teaching Sunday school week after week. You're putting feet to that pledge we make to one another. Thank you to those of you who are part of the worship care rotation you are putting feet to that pledge to care for one another and teach our children to know jesus and we need more worship care workers and then right here you have paul praising the act of teaching the scriptures to children and so if you're not already signed up as part of that worship care list then sign up we've pledged to take care of one another's children and teach them the scriptures. If you're not doing that, sign up. My friends, Timothy not only learned from his mom and grandma and Paul's lips, he also saw it lived out through their lives. And that had an effect on him. Life. What you do with your life matters more than what you say with your mouth. Actions speak louder than words. And so verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Think about what it would say to our children. If we could say, I mean, if they read that, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And we're, we're saying, you, you know, your pastors, you know, your Sunday school teachers, you know, your fathers and your mothers and your grandparents. 
You know what they've taught you and you, you know that their lives match the teaching of their lips. Think about how that would teach our kids, how that would press our children on. That's what continuance, that's where it's born from. They've seen it lived. And so you can continue in the gospel because you know from whom you've learned it. This is what the church needs. And it needs all of us to be on board with this. And so again, Timothy's learned the sacred writings. This is the Bible, the Old Testament from childhood. And he was a disciple of Paul for years. And now Paul is charging him. Like after these years of being discipled by Paul, Paul is still charging him to keep on learning. Continue on learning and living in God's word. And so here's the question for you. And for me. Are you continuing to learn the Bible? Are you continuing to grow in Christ? Are you continuing to put yourself in a place where the Spirit can, you know, like under the faucet, where He can pour out on you? And being here, that's part of it. Amen. Huge part of it. Spiritual formation happens in this room. But also, are you in a group? What about in your own personal, private time? Are you in the Word? If you're not in the Word on your own, you will be malnourished. My job is to feed you, but you are to also feed yourself. And if you're not in the Word, listen, just, I mean, you, you're robbing yourself of peace, of joy, of contentment, of just communion with God, of growth, of hope. Don't rob yourself. Abide. Remain. Continue on. And especially in the face and in the midst of a hostile world where it will at times be flat against us. No sugarcoating. It's the world. It's true. But what we do in the face of that is not try to find some new thing, some new trendy thing, something that no one's ever done or thought of in the last 2,000 years of Christian history. No. We simply heed. And truly, I mean that. We, we heed it. We don't read it like, oh, we know that. No, no. You do it. You follow. You obey. And you seek to live a godly life. You expect persecution and you're ready for it when it comes. And you press on. You continue on. You don't quit. You don't give up. You just keep going with God until he calls you home or brings you out of that. Galatians 6, 9. We do not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's how you live in a hostile world. Keep going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our moms and our dads and our grandparents and our Sunday school teachers and everybody who's played a role in our spiritual formation. How they gave of themselves. Father, help us to be those who would give of ourselves. And Father, while we don't like to talk about, we don't like to think about persecution, we want to just... 
be optimistic and, you know, everything's great and, and, and everything, Lord, we do need to be ready and be prepared for things, lest it catches us off guard and knocks us off our feet. But Father, we know that even when those things come, we, we're not like helpless or hapless. You are in the midst of those and you are allowing that or, 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 or you know, letting that happen for some reason. Even as we sang earlier today, that you move in mysterious ways. And the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. That we can't see your ends from the beginning, though you do. And you know what you're doing, and you know where this is going. Us, personally, our lives, our weeks, our days, but then globally, cosmically, eternally, where this is going. From the beginning to the end, you're outside of it all, you see it all, you're in control of it all. And you're kind, and you're good, and so we can trust you. Even when we don't understand, we can trust you. And so increase our faith. And those in here who maybe are struggling with their faith, Lord, help them to grapple with this and increase their faith. And those who maybe are in here and they don't have faith. Reach into their souls and give it to them. That they may know your contentment and your peace even in the midst of hard times, even in the midst of persecution, that you're still with us. And you will, as Paul said, rescue us from all of it in one way or another. And so we ask all this in Christ Jesus. Amen.